y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. I'm Melissa, and I'm your host. Today, I'm chatting with Fatima Oliver, and before we get into what Fatima is all about, let me share a quote by Nora Ephraim, and it's a, the quote is, Above all else, be the heroine of your own life. And honestly, Fatima embodies this quote. She shares about all the things that she's gone through in her life, and to be able to come out on the other side is so amazing. Um, she has a great story of overcoming so much, so much in her life, and being a better parent to her four boys. So I really hope you really enjoyed this episode. And you know what I need you to do right now? That's right. Start listening. to another edition of Chats from the Blog Cabin. Today I'm joined by Fatima and your bio says it all. Wife, mother, author, and extreme lover of chocolate. Who does not yeah. love chocolate? I mean, come on. Well, I've met some people and they're strange to me, so. Yeah, I mean, who would not love chocolate? Now, why don't you introduce yourself more in depth so we get to know you better? Teach. Okay, so yes, I'm Fatima, born and raised in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, native say Nevada. Um, definitely not on the strip um, in the inner city, as some would say. Um, we call it the hood. Um, basically not the best parts of town, but I grew up with, um, I had five brothers actually. Now I have four. One passed away many years ago, but I grew up in a home full of boys. Um, my mom had three of those. My dad had two. And either way, I was the only girl. And then I wound up having all boys. So I have four boys. One is 21. Uh, 14, 10, and 7. I often close my eyes because I got to remember and it's tough. Too many kids. But um, and so now I'm in a home full of full of all testosterone. So I say God definitely has a sense of humor. Um, growing up um, as a single uh, with a single parent, just like many people have experienced, it can bring a lot of frustration in the home um, and, and just some opportunities for loneliness and um and, and just feeling unworthy, um, unloved. And so I definitely had those experiences. Um, I, um, for the most part, that's why I call myself a regular chick because I definitely um, am not in the minority, unfortunately, when it comes to being raised by a single parent and just undergoing a lot of um, different tragedies and, and um, um, traumas that I've had to um, make my way through. But I'm a strong believer in my faith. Um, I am a Christian and um, I lean on that faith every day, all day. I even say I talk to God to stop people from thinking that I'm talking to myself. And um, <laughs> and um, and yeah, and so um, he has helped me with, with just natural grit of survival um, instincts growing up, um, always having to 
um, figure things out. And, and with the help of God, I've been able to make it on the other side of a lot of, a lot of painful experiences. And I'm here with you today, Melissa, to talk about some of it. Yeah. Wow. But first of all, I'm going to say that's a huge age gap with your kids. It is. And the first two, we were like, we're done. Ne never again. And then I say my last two, my, my second to the last, he was my um, finale baby. And then my baby baby was my encore. Because if I would have had him first, I would not have but one child. <laughs> I think that's what a lot of people say about their children. Cause I mean, I have three girls and they're um, 25, 23 and one will be the youngest will be 19 this year. Okay, wow. And, and so, but the last one, if I'd had her first, even with the labor and delivery, she would have yeah. been my last one. Yes. yes. It's like crazy. Yes, for sure. It's so, as you get along. Yes. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty okay in the house. I always have help. But absolutely. I said God uh, made him last for a reason. And he is a big fireball. And, and he was when he came and he is now. So he, he lives up um, to that reputation when <laughs> he first hit the earth. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the experiences that you wrote about in your book. The prescription is in the dirt. I mean, the book is free on, if you're Kindle Unlimited. But if not, you can buy it on Amazon. Where else can you get it at? <laughs> Um, really, um, you can also, I mean, everything seems to be on Amazon right now. It's exclusively per, um, um, sold there, but you can also travel through my website, FatimaC.com. And there's a lot of other um, just things about myself that you can tap into if you want to get to know me a little better and just how my brain works and the different things that touch my heart is uh, on my website, FatimaC.com. But also you can purchase the book there. So let's talk about your book. Your book talks about all the your heartbreak, your childhood drama, how you dealt with abuse. So let's talk about why did you decide to write the book and the journey to writing the book? Yes, I want to say that it does pay a lot of attention, highlights definitely a lot of the more painful sides of my life. Most of my life was, unfortunately. Um, but I do I do want to state that there is also a, a beautiful redemptiveness that's a part of the book, too, that I'm very proud of. Um, and it just shows um, how good um, God um, is, with, from, in my opinion, mm -hmm. um, when you just lean into him. And that was one of the that was one of the reasons that I wrote the book. But also um, at the time of working through a lot of pain, a lot of emotional disconnection that I had to situations that had happened to me um, as a child and a teenager, young adult, what have you, all the way into my 40s. Um, just the being able to survive it all, but not really um, touching um, and really embracing the emotional aspect of it that really kept me in bondage much longer than the events did. It, mm -hmm. it was, a, it was a, after coming through the tough work to get through all of that, it really was, the, the book anyway, was really just an extension of my healing. And it was an extension of therapy for me, being able to um, have the courage to be so honest about what I have been carrying inside me for so many years, for decades, that I never thought it was okay to speak about. And being able to be in a space where I have done so much hard work on myself and feeling comfortable to speak about it and feeling free, the more I spoke about it, it was kind of a natural um, uh, thing to jump into. However, for me, it felt like an accident. However, I just feel like 
God never makes accidents and it was already on my path. I just didn't know. I had to work through all the the jump first to get to that space. And it really started out as me just outlining my story of where I came from, um, the different things that I had made it through, my kind of um, rock bottom. There are different types of rock bottoms, but my rock bottom to, that led me into therapy and to really do some deep self-reflection, radical self-reflection. And then um, and then just writing how God had ch changed my story. So that's really what it was. It was just kind of just writing it all out. But once I did that, I looked back and read a little bit of it. And I was like, well, shoot, that's a book. And then from there, I just had to put in some details. But I've always had the story inside me. I repeated it over and over and over again in my mind and in my heart. Um, it was just actually writing it on paper and sharing it with the world. That was the toughest part. <laughs> So why did you decide to share it with the world though? Because obviously some people, when they write their stories, they want it, they want it one, they want to write it and then forget about it. But why did you want yeah. to well, share it? For one, like I said, it was an extension, but it was the first time I felt freedom to be able to say, this is my story. I'm not ashamed of my story. I'm not ashamed of, um, or I would no longer be ashamed of my story. And um, I really felt that it was, it was impressed on me to, to, to put it out there, my story out to the world for those people who had not yet gotten to a place where they could speak for themselves. Um, it's like, you know, when you, when you're saved from something and you didn't realize it, it was so much, um, you didn't, you didn't realize it was wrong. You didn't realize it was bad. You didn't realize it was dangerous. And then you come out of it and then you just want to tell everybody. And that's kind of how I felt. I really wanted to be a voice for those people who are still feeling silenced um, by their life situations, they're afraid to speak up or they don't feel um, that their their life matters enough for them to speak up. Um, it, me writing this and then getting it published and putting it out there for the world to read it is saying that at, at the young age, when I started going through the horrible situations that I went through, I mattered, even if people didn't treat me like I did. And to this day, I still matter. And so do they. And so when I talk, when I talk to um, people like you on platforms like this, I'm really not speaking just for myself. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm carrying all those people on my back saying that collectively we matter and it's time to pay us some attention. That's true. So let's talk about some of the situations. Are you, you yeah. feel free to talk about it? So talk well, about when you're in the book now, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> well, just a few tidbits, a few, not a whole lot to get more people wanting to read the book. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm saying if I put it out there in the book, I might as well talk about it. Right. So, right. so what would you want to dive into? Let's do it. Let's just talk about maybe when you hit rock bottom. When yeah. You, you needed help. Well, I think that it, I think people can go through um, different rock bottoms. Like I really do believe that at different um, phases of their life. And so I did have a, a couple, um, two profound ones though, was um, when I was a little it, like mid thirties, and um, I was in a place where I had, um, uh, I was about to remarry. Um, I had a great fiance, I had two children and um, I seem seemingly was on the right path, but I was um, dying on the inside. I always felt like there was a dark cloud following me wherever I went. That just was what I felt around me every day when I woke up, when I went to bed, that's just what went with me. 
almost like on the TV commercial when you see the cloud following the person. Well, mm -hmm. that's how I felt, honestly. And so um, it just became too much. I felt like the pain that was trapped inside me, deep, deep inside, was screaming in my head. And I couldn't silence the, the screams, but I didn't know why they were there. And, um, and it just got too much. And I really started um, on a consistent level rehearsing um, ending my life, rehearsing, mm -hmm. driving through an intersection at full speed. And and I couldn't stop rehearsing it in my head. And it really started to scare me to the point where, um, because I really thought that one day I would, I would get the nerve to do it. And um, I had prayed millions of times the same prayer. God help me. I don't I don't know what's wrong with me. When I talk to people, they would say there's nothing wrong with me. I would try to pretend like there was nothing wrong with me. But yet I always felt there was something wrong with me. And in that moment um, where I was in my car, just crying and sobbing and saying, I truly don't know how to fix me. I felt God like hit me on the top of my head and say, go to the doctor. And so I'm a strong believer that um, help begins with humility. And so I had to take that moment and really capture it in my heart and humble myself and go to the doctor and get assistance. So from there, I wound up on um, medicine to help me with clinical depression. And I pretty much wrote that out for about 10, 12 years before I got into another space where I felt that same sense of vulnerability and fear and the medicine didn't seem to be doing its job as much. And even though I was taking it every day, I still five out of seven days was having anxiety attacks on the job, mm. feeling those same uncontrollable feelings like I just couldn't trust myself. And at that time, um, really, that was like two years ago, close to two years ago. And, and in that space, I was able to lean on. Um, a group of friends that I had built over the years who were like-minded and Christ-centered. And through our conversations and me just being real vulnerable and saying, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I don't know if I'm even going to recognize myself tomorrow. I feel like I'm having a nervous breakdown. And it was in that moment that they encouraged me to go to talk therapy. So it was an accumulation of the medicine and the talk therapy and also just staying close to those who were like-minded, who were who were walking the same um, faith path that I was that helped me get to a place where I was brave enough and uh, to 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 look at my life in a healthy way. And um, but yeah, it, it was both. It was two. Um, if I were to account anything in my memory, it was those two critical times where my life could have went um, really to where I wouldn't be here to talk about it um, or I choose right and and seek help. And I'm so grateful that I, I sought out help. But it was just a matter of all these um, repressed memories um, and feelings that had attached to events that I had um, went through in my life that I survived, but I never dealt with the emotional aspect. And in my, in my family, it really wasn't a culture or atmosphere or environment where emotions were kind of tolerated. Anger mm -hmm. was tolerated um, and drama was tolerated, but not sadness and sorrow that kind of was looked at as weakness. And so I never, I just never tapped into my emotions. So how has that made you become a better parent to your sons? Are you able to have those conversations with them? Um, for sure. So, uh, of course, it took me going going to therapy and really having a conversation and truly hearing somebody tell me, Fatima, it's OK to feel. It's like I never had anybody tell me that before. And I didn't even know I needed somebody to give me permission. And so it was just a, a simple conversation where my therapist said, Fatima, it's okay. And it sounds like you really have 
an emotional disconnect. And so you walk around trying to be tough, 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 mm-hmm. especially raising boys, tough, mm-hmm. tough, tough. And to the point where when they would see me cry, they have literally looked and said, are those tears? Because <laughs> they just didn't <laughs> understand because I never did it. I never cried around them. And so, um, yeah, with me realizing that it, it truly is OK for me to em- embrace all the emotions that I may feel, but do it in a healthy way. Have that moment where I feel the sorrow. I feel the disappointment. I feel the anger, whatever it be. But have that moment where I can do that 10, 15 minutes, even if it's a day, if I need to feel it and then work out a game plan instead of going straight to solution driven. And Mm -hmm. since I've learned that I definitely raise my children different, I want to make sure they understand that it is okay to show emotions. Yes, you're a boy. And yes, I want you to be tough. And yes, I want you to be able to um, to handle any type of problem or know when to ask for help. But I also don't want you thinking that if you cry, that means that you are a wimp or that means that you're soft or weak. And I think that that's something that we've had embedded in, shoot, generations mm-hmm. of cultures that, that it's not okay to cry. That's for sure, because I was brought up, my mom, we never talked about anything. Well, I decided when my girls were growing up that we talked about everything. I mean, sometimes it was a little bit too in depth sometimes, but I wanted to make sure I had that relationship that I had with my girls that I didn't have with my mom. And I'm sure that's what you want with your kids as well to have that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I even have my virtual therapy sessions and my son will walk by and I'll be on a conference call at work and he'll say, were, were you talking to your therapist? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm talking to somebody at work. But the point is that it's such a free conversation. It's so, you know, it's just such such freedom in my home. I want that space of freedom to be there to where they understand that sometimes you have to go get help outside of your home. And they're they're witnessing me doing that by me keeping my mental health as um, you know primary on my list. Now you said that you have two older boys and two younger boys. Do you think you're a better parent now to the younger boys because of going out and reaching out and giving that help? I do. I think. Well, I mean, you know, they would venture to say I'm easier in some some aspects. You know, just the way we 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 you know, we 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 discipline our kids. But in general, as far as um, mentally and emotionally, I think I'm more mentally and emotionally available. But um, I also want to say at, at the time that I had my my older child, I was a single mom for the most part. And, and I really lived the same way I feel emotionally like my mom did. Just that undercurrent of frustration. So every time I made a decision, every time I spoke to my children, it was with the undercurrent of frustration, almost like I expected them to understand how much I was sacrificing for them, which Mm -hmm. truly makes no sense because they're a child. Why would they know that? Right. Well, sometimes as a single parent or when we feel like we're given so tirelessly or we're making ourselves martyrs without uh, being asked, (laughs) you know, we, we want to get that reciprocation of don't you understand my sacrifices? And that's an unrealistic expectation, especially on a child. And so I feel like I had that on my at least my older one. Definitely. Um, and 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 he had a tough, you know, being grown, uh, growing up tough anyway. And for me to be like, don't you understand? I can't believe you did this. And just so rough. And once I walked through a lot of my therapy, I actually went back and had a conversation with him, a conversation that was years old that should have been happened. But I don't think I was much. I wasn't mature enough. Mm 
to be able to have that conversation. But I set the time aside and scheduled time with him and had a conversation. And I honestly um, apologized. I asked for his forgiveness. I didn't say I'm sorry. I said, will you forgive me? Because I know that I did the best that I could, but that wasn't good enough. And and I made some mistakes. And I feel like I made most of those mistakes raised when I was raising you. And I really needed to put that, um, you know, that option in his lap as far as, you know, do you want to talk about it deeper? Do you wish to forgive? Do you need some time? But not try to manipulate that out of him and truly just own my mess. And that was the great thing about. The, the, the different things that I did in my therapy. I went to therapy, but I also did um, a recovery program that made me take accountability for my life. And in that, there is the step of reaching out and making amends. As I, and I was so grateful to have the strategy so that I could do that without asking for something in return, but really having that conversation that was well overdue with my oldest and saying, you know, I wish I could have been a better mom. But, but, you know, if you're okay with it, let's try to start over and I'm going to be the best mom that I can be. Wow. For you to actually come to, most parents don't do that, but for you to actually come to your son and say, Hey, you know, I'm sorry. I wasn't a better parent. Yeah. Let's start over. Let's, let's, let's make a new, wow. Yeah. That's so impressive. It was hard because that meant I had to put aside the parent hat mm -hmm. and take the mommy hat off. Right. And I really had to go as a person, like as Fatima and not as mama. And 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 Fatima had to own her mess. And that was a part of the program. It was called Celebrate Recovery and it's a Bible-based program. And so in going through that process, you learn, um, there is a process of inventory where you have to inventory those people that have wronged you. But in fairness, you're not perfect. So mm -hmm. I had to also own my wrongs towards other people. And to do the process correctly, I had to check myself and say, I can't do the whole you, 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 and never turn the finger. Mm -hmm. So I had to step into that. And, and when I stepped into it, he was the first person that came to my heart. And it was a humbling moment. And I really had to pray and get my mind right before I approached because I couldn't control what he was going to say. Um, but I just had to make sure that I, I opened up my heart and shared it and was honest so that no matter what he said, I could walk away saying I did what I was supposed to do and 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 hopefully that he will forgive me. And, I, and I'm grateful that we were able to walk through that step together. And and honestly, surprisingly, he apologized for some stuff. And I was like, well, there you go. <laughs> I, was about, I was just about to ask you, how did he receive it? Like very yeah. beginning, he probably looked at you like you were crazy. Like, mom, what yeah. are you doing? And yeah. yeah, he said it, it caught him off guard. And he didn't know what we were going to talk about. He said that when I scheduled the time, he actually thought I was going to scold him. So he didn't know what to expect. And so for him coming into the conversation and me saying, I, you know, you, you've been on my heart. I, I recognize there are some things I could have done better in raising you. And I just like to take this time and take ownership for some of these things that came to my mind. There may be some other things, but these came to my mind. So I'm going to read them out to you and tell you what I see I did wrong. And then after I'm done, we can talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. And that's really how I approached it. And he just said he was just kind of shocked and was holding back tears because he didn't want to cry in front of, in front of his mom. <laughs> but um, but yeah, at the end of it, it actually went about a two hour conversation, which was the longest we had conversated in a while. And um, and he opened up and shared his heart and he shared his heart about um, just the type of child he had been and the reasons why he believed he had been that way. But we just had a moment where we were on the same page. 
I could hear my son think, I could hear his maturity, I could hear the way his mind worked. And sometimes that's difficult when you're not paying attention and mm -hmm. you're just looking at what they could be doing better in and not getting to know the child. And I think that with my other children, I've been able to be healthy enough, even though I didn't really start doing the real work until two years ago, but I was healthy enough to be able to get to know the child, get to know that person, and then um, parent based on who that person was. And with my older son, I missed the mark on that. And I definitely had to take ownership of that. I mean, of course, I can say the other parent didn't do this or that, but it really wasn't about the other parent. And mm -hmm. it was about me and, and doing our relationship, what I could have done better. And I'm just so grateful that God showed me that. I love how you don't put, like you just said, what the other parent could have done. You didn't put the blame on the other parent as far as the relationship goes with your son. You took the blame. Like our relationship is all my all my doing. It has nothing to do with what the other parent. And a lot of parents don't do yeah. that. Even parents that are still together, they don't do that. They either place the blame on one parent or the other. They don't take the blame on themselves. So, wow, that's really I'm just like, well, I mean, but it's, you, you know, it's, it's, tough. well, I mean, it's tough work and it's maturity. Right. And, and we all, we know when, well, when we know better, we're supposed to do better. And sometimes we just don't know. And so, um, I mean, that's just the truth. Sometimes we repeat things that we've been taught. And that's the whole point of a lot of the things in my book is I repeated habits that I was taught. And so even with um, some things as far as like the molestation that I went through or the abuse that I experienced, I didn't talk about it, not because nobody said, Fatima, don't talk about it, but it was this expectation, like a cover over our home that said, we do not talk about this. So I didn't talk about it. And then when I'm raising my children, how can I tell my children to speak to me about anything that happens to them? If somebody touch you in a way or if somebody does something to you, but I'm not even speaking about what really pained me to my own parents. And then they're not speaking to me because of what they they were taught from their parents. It's generational. Mm -hmm. And so somewhere down the line, we are held accountable to change those generational habits. And so this was just another opportunity because in the beginning, I did not know. Mm -hmm. I didn't know until I started working on myself, which was just two years ago. So when I started diving into myself and my anxiety, remember the bait was me having anxiety and having to go to the therapist about what's going on with me. But then the results came out was trauma, but it also came out to manipulative behavior that I had. Also, my parenting skills, it was so much in there that mm -hmm. I, I thought it was, it was all wrapped up into some anxiety. I'm like, doctor, just heal the anxiety. But as we started talking, there was so much more there. And it just opened up the opportunity to look at other parts of my life that I could do better in. It's not about being perfect, just progressing and that I could mm -hmm. do better. And so in that area, I recognized mm, I could do better. And so let's just try to fix what I can fix. And then, God, you do the rest. But at least I'm trying. Right. And then but I can't make them forgive me. I can't make them talk to me. I can't make him say, OK, mommy, you're the best mom in the world. The only thing I can do is admit my wrong, just like I would if it was Joe at the job. Admit mm -hmm. my wrong. And then it's up to them to forgive it. And my son is a person. He's not just my son. He's a person. And that was a conviction that I got that. Why is it that I can I can feel so guilty or I say convicted, but just so impressed upon my heart to apologize to somebody at my job or a friend and go.
out of my way to share my heart about how wrong I was and work to make it right. But I can't do that to my own family. That's a problem mm -hmm. because your first ministry, your first uh, responsibility mm -hmm. is in your home. But I can go outside of my home and do all that for other people outside of my home. But inside my home, I ignore the dysfunction in my home. That's backwards. And that's what God was showing me. And I'm just so grateful that when he was showing it to me, that I didn't take it as a beat upside the head that I'm not a good parent. But mm -hmm. I took it as, okay, this is not a failure. This is an opportunity. So now that I see it, let's let's take the opportunity and try to make some things right. So let's talk about that. Why you saw it as an opportunity and not a failure. Because a lot of people would see it as a failure and they would beat themselves up even more and see deeper into depression. Yeah. So what was that turning point that you saw as an opportunity? Um, I, so over time, okay, so. I like to do a lot of mud races. Let me just say that. Okay. Seems like it has nothing to do with nothing, but I'm really into like the mud races. And um, I, I got into them maybe five years ago. I never win. I'm never the first one to get done, but it's just the fact that it may take me four hours to finish going over all those walls and stuff. And then I feel like I'm never going to do this, that I'm a complete failure. All these people are passing me. And then I just got to get that inner grit to just keep going. And then before I know it, I'm at the finish line. And then I'm like, that was so cool. Okay. Yeah. Over time of doing those, it reshapes my, it reshaped my thinking. And so I just learned to look at what we would look at as failure. For me, mm -hmm. I look at it as either I win or I learn. So when I'm in a race, either mm -hmm. I win or I learn how tough I am. I learn how resourceful I can be. Or I learned, mm, Fatima, you should have wore better shoes or you should have bought, you see what I'm saying? Or you should have wore double tights because you failed and it hurt your butt really bad. I learned though. <laughs> so, and so I took that mindset into my life. And that's one thing that I've gotten out of doing those type of aggressive sports stuff is just the mental strength it takes to overcome. And I literally took that mental mindset and took it to my job. And so at my job, I say, if there's something that happens, I say, well, that's an opportunity to learn. So if it's an opportunity at my job, then it's an opportunity in my house. I win or I learn. So if it's something that happened that really sucked, okay, I feel the suckiness of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. But then I have to go back and say, okay, how can we make it better? I don't have the time to sit and just allow it to fester and fester and become um, more than what it needs to be. Well, I should I should say I choose to not have the time because back in the day I would have done that. I would have sat in it. Um, but but as I've grown, I've learned that that can be viewed as emotional manipulation, soaking mm -hmm. and soaking and walking around the house soaking so that somebody can say what's wrong with you. So then you can say nothing. But then they say, really, what's wrong? And then you say, but do you really want to know? And then it just starts all over again. But what gets fixed? That's a form of um, emotional manipulation. And I just don't want to live that way. I just feel like I've gone through so much stuff and that I've gotten to a place in my life where I really am in a space of freedom that God allowed me to work through so much scary stuff about my life that I had to um, do the same steps that I did for my son. I did it towards relatives who have hurt me, um, towards my father who was never in my life. I did those same steps and I saw how courageous that I can be. So then why am I going to go backwards and do things that I know is not going to benefit my peace of mind when I've worked so hard to be so much stronger? I just think we all have a moment in our lives where we're presented with an opportunity to make a decision on how we want to live our lives. 
And um, I just think that there's so much greatness and so much opportunity um, for us to do awesome and amazing things and soaking and using emotional manipulation to get our way is a disservice. It's a disservice to mm -hmm. ourselves. It's a disservice to our family because it just leaves the family broken. And I really think it's a disservice to your faith or to your higher being or to God because they can't fully use you because you're too busy doing janky stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you got to choose right. We got to choose better. We got to be better. We just got to be better. Wow. So I want to know, how did you ever come? You talked about, you know, the molestation and the abuse as a child. How did you ever come to shame to feel like you're a worthwhile person? Because honestly, that's what every time I talk to someone that's been abused or has been molested, yeah. they talk about that shame. Like it was their fault that it yeah. that happened to them because it was their fault. How yeah. did you overcome it? It took me 34 years to overcome that. It took me 34 years at 11 years old. I was molested. And then um, I don't want to give too much away, but it, it's I think it's important to say that I was also accused of flirting with the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. um, it was just a it was a crazy situation. And I do not believe in any way, shape or form that the right thing was done by me as a child. And if anything, I was put in a position to feel a lifelong shame. And so um, um I I didn't know that's what I was doing, but as a at growing up, I learned codependency, and I learned to um, to try to make um, my my mom feel better um, because I felt that I needed to repay her for standing up for me, and that was because of the conversations that we have had in the past that made me feel like I am forever indebted for you choosing me over your 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 ex spouse who molested me. And so mm -hmm. I lived with that. I carried that every single day of my life for 34 years. I am 46. And I just got to a place two years ago. Again, it was that moment where I felt like my life, I thought I was losing my mind. Mm -hmm. And it was me going through the process of therapy and coupled with Celebrate Recovery and the questions that are asked as far as what happened to you specifically and who was at fault specifically and how did it how did you feel in that moment if you can remember how did it damage you and of course molestation was one of the top things how did it damage you meaning now that you've gone through your life what decisions have you made in these 34 years that you can trace back to that those incidences and then the the big question after that was was it your fault mm. and if i'm looking at from an 11 year old's perspective was it my fault? No. And it was going through that step, honestly, that helped me to see Fatima. There was no way. You are a mother. And mm -hmm. if it was one of your children, what would you have done? And I would have done it completely differently. So it was not my fault. And honestly, that was a, a moment that helped break that. And then from there, once I realized it wasn't my fault, then I needed to change my behavior. I needed to change my mindset. I need to change the emotional attachment that made me feel like it was my fault. And um, it, it's it's often encouraged, if you can, to speak to those people, if it's not going to do you any more harm or them any harm. And so for me, I had an opportunity to have that conversation to basically state this was not my fault. 
I couldn't control, but just like I said about my son, I couldn't control whether uh, my mom accepted what I stated or, or denounced it. And it really wasn't about that. It was about me breaking free of the understanding that for 34 years, it was my fault. And it was in that moment that I, I truly was able to break free. But whether I had the conversation with her or not, that was still a pivotal moment in my life. And then from there, the second part of it was, if it's not your fault, then why are you ashamed to speak about it? And so for me, in the state that I had got, gotten, as far as my level of healing, everybody's level is different. Some people just aren't in a space where they want to talk about it. I was in a level at a level of healing where I could say, you know what, this happened to me and I'm not going to allow it to make me feel shame anymore. I'm going to speak on it. And that was a critical thing that I needed to share in my book. And I tussled with that. And there were people who loved me and who were around me doing me writing the book who um, kind of wanted me to not put it in the book because they were concerned about what it would be looked like, what I would be looked like. And for me, that was the same type of oppressiveness that I had lived under for 34 years. So as much as they loved me, I had to tell them to shut up. <laughs> I had to tell them to shut up because that was going to keep me captive and I'm working to be free. So as much as you love me, you clearly don't understand that this is not about you. This is about me and my freedom. And so it was critical that I spoke about that in my book and just the path that I took to find my healing and find my peace with it, um, the peace with the damage that has happened. And I'm still working through the peace um, that will come. Well, I'm still at peace, but as far as like true forgiveness over the people that played a part, I'm still in progress. I'm still processing that part. And there are moments when I say I forgive. And then there are moments when I say, dang, I didn't realize I'm still angry about that. So it's a progress. It's, it's progress. But I am so grateful that I was able to work through that, that healing process to even be able to talk to you about it today and talk to you without feeling guilt or shame. Because mm -hmm. I know without a doubt that there are other people out there that have gone through it. I'm not by myself and they're not by themselves. And if that means I have to go first to talk about it, then that's what it'll be because I don't want them to feel like I felt by myself and like I was wrong and it wasn't me. Well, I'd love when you were talking about, you know, writing your book and putting that part in there and people were telling you don't do it. And you're like, no, go away. Um, the yeah. courage that you took to stand up for yourself. Don't you wish you were that same, that same courage when you were 11? Um, I think that even if I would have had that courage at 11, it wouldn't have mattered because of my environment. And if anything, it may have, um, sadly to say, it could have hindered me and I could have been more abused, you know, because mm -hmm. the people that were around that were supposed to care for me, they were broken too and wasn't really doing their part. So I believe that um, as cheesy as it sounds, that everything happens for a reason, that there's a season for everything. And just like I don't believe that I would have been able to write the book if I would not have went through the stages of therapy first, but I wouldn't have went through the stage of therapy if I wouldn't have had the anxiety attacks. So all of it, as crazy as it seems, as um, out of control as I felt, all of it worked together for the good. All of it. It wasn't one piece that I felt, I felt like I was losing my mind. Like I really did. Mm -hmm. But that was a part of the, all of that was a part of the plan, which is crazy when you think about it. 
I'm very analytical. That does not make sense. <laughs> but yeah, it all worked together. If one domino wouldn't have happened, then the other one wouldn't have happened. I would have been living on medicine, still going through dips because I did. I went through every about maybe three times a year. I would go through moments where I felt that I wanted to end it all. And I would go missing in action. My friends would be like, where's Fatima? My family would be like, she's not returning calls. I wouldn't talk to my husband. I would just say, I'm really tired. I would stay away from the family for about a good two weeks. I would feel like Alice in Wonderland where she goes down the the hole, the -hmm. rabbit hole. That's how I felt. I felt stuck in the rabbit hole for about a good two weeks. And then something would happen and some ray of hope would shine through. And I would realize where I was mentally and work to climb myself out. And then I would go back to normal. And it would happen at least three times a year. And I thought that that was living. I thought that was okay. So I was not living. I'm more free now than I've ever been in my life. And I just believe that, unfortunately, it had to take a different different events to get me to the place where I was willing to surrender myself to whatever needed to be resolved and to whatever method. you know. And um, I think a lot of times we get in our own way because we think our healing or our solution should come in one direction and when it doesn't we can't see another option and um in this case in this case i was so desperate i was so afraid of losing my mind that i would have chose any type of direction whatever what what you want me to do you want me to knock three times and then jump okay (laughs) you know but but if i would have um if i would have felt like all was well and that i'm functioning i would have done this and I wouldn't have made it to my destiny. So I think it's critical to, uh, for me, I just think it's critical to understand that even our most horrible moments in our life, there's got to be a purpose. And it may not be a deep, um, profound purpose that we can say, yep, that's it. That's the purpose. It may be making a choice to turn it into purpose, you know? Um, But there's always an opportunity for pain to be turned into purpose. And I think this moment, me being able to say that two years ago, I was snotting in a car on the side of the road, crying and saying, God, I don't know what's going on with me. And then being able to be right here with you talking and have a published book. You can't tell me that God isn't real. And that's just my perspective. (laughs) That is so true. Now, let's talk about, did you have that conversation with your sons about before you wrote the book that you were going to get this book, you were going to publish it. You're going to have they read it. That's not a lot. Obviously the younger ones probably, but have the older ones read it? No, my, my older son, I sent it to him. He lives in California. So I sent him the book. I first sent him the script and you know, okay, mama, I'm going to read it. Okay. No, you're not moving quick enough. So I sent him the book. Amazon shipped him a book. (laughs) Okay. Now I know you got it. (laughs) It's in book form and I need you to read it. And there were some things that we talked about. Um, There was some mention of his father and our relationship and it was special. Um, That was sarcasm there. It's special. (laughs) um, That's mentioned in the book. And so we had a good dialogue about um, my perspective, well, my, my relationship versus his relationship. And so going through my relationship with his dad and then growing from the relationship and getting in a healthier space relationally wise. Um, and then in a space where he needed his father helped me to understand that we can have two completely different relationships. So we had a conversation on that. Um, but when I really started writing, nobody really understood it, but I'm one of those in number one, I'm the only girl. Okay. Mm. So anytime I'm talking, I'm just saying, not trying to say men, I'm not trying to say anything negative about men, 
but we are definitely different. Okay. I'm more colorful. So if I say tomorrow, I want to paint the kitchen yellow, they're going to be like, okay, whatever you want to do. Right? Uh-huh. So he's saying that, oh, I'm going to write a book. They were like, uh, where did that come from? But okay. <laughs> That's what you're do. And then after a couple of weeks, they saw that I was continuing to write and slowly they began to buy into it. So before I knew it, they were saying, how many pages do you have written? Oh my God, you wrote five pages or you wrote 150 pages or you wrote this many pages. And then when I actually printed it out for the first time and said, oh my God, I really think I'm done. I'm really done. We all screamed. We were all like, oh my God, you're done with your book. <laughs> so they definitely just um, came alongside. I mean, they're my biggest fans and anything mama says she wants to do, they really are right there. My son, um, who has sickle cell, um, I talk about that a bit, um, but he has sickle cell and he's the 10 year old. And um, that's a blood inherited blood disease where our blood cells are different and it causes pain for him, like arthritis throughout his body and his organs can deteriorate much quicker. Um, but he has a disease and he's actually the one that helped to um, make the, the artwork for the book. And he loves to draw. And he was like, Mama, I'm going to draw a picture based on what you said the name of the title is. And he came back and drew this picture of dirt and flowers and all this stuff. And I just was like, oh, my God, that real to build and make the imagery. So, you know, they've all joined in in the best way they know how. And it's been beautiful. So do they know the whole parts of your story now or have you, you no, kept stuff back from them? Yeah, they're just too young to be able to take on this adult content. Um, but um, I mean, not it's it's an inspirational memoir, so definitely more on the faith end. However, just the content alone is pretty adult. Um, but there is a story about my first child that I had who passed away. And um, and so I was able to share that with them a bit. They, they were able to read some some bits of that because we talk about her all the time and so it was good for them to be able to read my feelings about um about her and um so wherever i felt like okay it's not too much you know too much for them to not be able to understand fully um i've allowed them to read and so um the the most that they've been able to take in was the the their 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 oldest sister who passed away before they were born wow so let's talk about the title the prescription is in the dirt where did yeah. you come up with that title? Because that's such an unusual title. Yeah. So the prescription is in the dirt. For me, it means the the things similar to what we've discussed today. So the um, that we touched on the sexual abuse, the physical abuse, things that happen in the family that we're told what's what happens in our house stays in our house. Not to the point of uh, protection, but actually to a place to a place of we can't get help because the family is ashamed of the secret getting out. Um, that's the dirt. Even um, if you want to take it to a level of well, maybe nothing really tumultuous and tragic happened to me, but the hate that I feel in my heart for somebody that I work with, they get all the attention and I don't understand and I'm doing all this work and I truly hate them. But I know that if I said that, that's a horrible thing to even think or feel. So I'm going to ignore it. That's dirt because that could be envy, resentment. I mean, what's really going on? All that is dirt. And so um, the dirt of our lives, if we're not careful, it can bury us just like it does on a gravesite. Just cover us. And we can be walking around like zombies, functioning, doing, going to work, 
trying to be a, a good spouse, trying to be a good parent, but we're missing the mark because we're not connected because we got all this stuff going on that anytime anybody talks to us, they're talking to that stuff. They're not even talking to us. They're talking to the result of that stuff. And so we truly can be walking around like zombies. On the other side, the wonderful thing about dirt is it can be used as soil. And if we allow God to get in there and do his work and we allow our courage to step up beyond our fears and we make a decision that we're going to tackle these secrets in our lives and we're going to expose them and we're going to heal from them, then just like soil, God can turn it and start nurturing the seed and grow such beautiful things out of it. And we can be a testimony of the things that we've gone through and people can look at us and say, wow, I can't believe that you went through all of that because we don't, we could never tell. And that's the point because God has healed us so much from the inside out to where we're no longer dressing up our mess that we're actually free from it, you know? And we're releasing the pain that's associated with a lot of events in our lives. And that's what the title is meant to bring home. Um, but I also, I don't know if you know who Taryn Wells is. He's a Christian singer, an artist, mm -hmm. and he preached for the first time, um, at my church and, um, in it, he gave a little nugget. They call them little nuggets, sidebar type of conversations. And he said, um, the, the prescription is in the dirt. I don't know who that's for, but that's. That's a little gift. If you want to take it, you can use it. And I said, thank you very much. And work perfect. I met that speaks to where I'm at right now. And I truly believe that um, if I wouldn't have gone through and 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 really dug down in that dirt of my life, I, I just wouldn't be here. I don't I don't even know if I would be here talking to you. I don't even know if I would be here on this earth right now because I was so broken. And I'm just so grateful that, you know, I'm really grateful that God gave me that courage to not turn away when when the hard truths were so rough and 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 brutal that I didn't turn away, but that I was willing to face them no matter what it took and own it. Did you grow up believing in God and having that strong faith or was that something that you've come to grow into? Yeah, um, it's definitely, um, I definitely believe in a relationship with God. And so relationships grow or they deteriorate. It's definitely something that I've grown into. Um, I grew up a Buddhist. I grew up, um, it, my mother is a Buddhist, uncles, aunts, my grandmother was a Buddhist. And um, if you ever seen the Tina Turner movie, What's Love Got to Do With It, in it, she starts to pray um, at what they call the Busadon. That was my religion. So we were real excited when we saw Tina Turner praying in the movie. <laughs> um, we were like, that's us, we do that. <laughs> so, um, growing up in the hood, I'm just going to tell you, um, we were like the only family that were Buddhist and, um, it could be isolating at times, but it was a beautiful religion. I learned a lot about it and, um, about people. And honestly, the inclusion aspect has lived with me, um, throughout my life. Um, I, we, we, although we lived in a predominantly black neighborhood, we prayed and, and witnessed with and had joyous moments with people of all races. And I think that was critical. Um, for my upbringing. And so, um, and so I love that, uh, you know, I love that. And so I was always spiritually centered, but I became a Christian at the age of 19, just questioning my faith. And I became a Christian. And then, um, and as I've, as I've just lived, and truly it's been the roughest moments of my life that have gotten me closer to God, because I was just a young, 
um, Christian and if everything was going good, what was the point of praying? And so mm -hmm. it really took some, it was really in those horrible, my heart is broken in a million pieces, catastrophic horribleness, which is my life is what got me to my knees and really got me diving into the Bible and diving into who God said that I was. Um, but even in that every year, I want to say that as I, you get out of anything, what you put into it. Mm -hmm. And as I've matured in my faith and I've really um, just put more intention into what I believe I've grown more. So I just think it's, it's ever evolving and um, I'm grateful for where I'm at. But I'm still, um, you know, having to learn so much more. I just got done reading Leviticus and I was like, God, I don't understand none of this. <laughs> so it was like, you know, I mean, we're, we're all growing and we're all trying to understand. Um, but he does have my heart. And I know that without a doubt, it doesn't matter what scripture, it doesn't matter whether I know anything from the Bible. He has my heart, not because of his word, but because of how he has saved me and how he has kept me in every aspect of my life. Yep. I so agree with you on that. Someone told me when the bottom fell out of my world in 2014, my daughter, my youngest daughter had a life-threatening illness. We had a car accident and my dad, who was my biggest hero, went in the hospice and ended up dying. Um, somebody told me that through all this trouble, this was God calling you, calling me to him. And that's what I, from now on, whenever I see trouble, I think, God, okay, what are you trying to tell me? What, yeah. what are you trying to definitely tell me? So I can see that the way you said that with, when you're going through turmoil and stuff is when you're closer to God. And it doesn't yeah. seem like it's supposed to be that way, but that's how it ends up being. Yeah. And even in my rage, though, I don't want to make it seem like it's OK, God, this horrible thing happened. So, yes, Lord, what would you have me to do? No. <laughs> A lot of times it was how dare you put me through this? I serve you. I go to church. I pray all the time. I pray for my neighbors. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to be kind. And this is what happens to me. It's more so like that. But you can't be angry with somebody that you're not close to. Yep. So, you know, so it's and and even in my rage of just trying to say, God, I don't understand why you would allow this to happen to me. I felt free to be able to have that conversation because he already knew my heart anyway. So why am I going to pretend like I don't feel it? And then number two, I never took him off my off the throne or off the throne in my life. He he stayed. He remained God. It's just I didn't understand what he was doing. Um, but but that I, that never denounced his power in my life. And at some point in the midst of my pain and anger and frustration and confusion, I still had to come to that same space where I had to make a decision. Either I'm going to trust him or I'm not. And so even in the midst of my mm -hmm. heartbreak, I lost my child in the midst of my heartbreak when when my son was diagnosed with an inherited blood disease. And I didn't understand why God would even let that happen when my marriage fell apart. And I was like, I thought I was the best wife I could be. And my, my you know, my marriage fell apart. My mother walks out of my life because she doesn't agree with how I look at certain things that have happened in my life. Even in the midst of that heartbreak and feeling like I was mourning and grieving multiple times. At the end of the day, I still said but your will be done. It is well with my soul. And I don't know what that's going to look like, but whatever you do, it is well, because I know that you are on the throne of my life and I don't run it, run the show, you run it. And I just pray that you give me the courage to keep holding your hand while we're walking through it together. I love that picture of you holding his hand, holding, <laughs> holding God's hand. That's such a great image. Anytime I read anything in the Bible about his hand coming across or yourself to people it's just it makes me weep so i just love that it's giving me chills right now you said that 
Yeah. So what's up say, next? It's one finger like this. <laughs> you know, maybe not the whole thing, just one, but you're still holding on, right? <laughs> when you said that, it reminds me of like when you know when you're, you're trying to catch a killer and you got a hold of their like their one little pinky while they're trying to run away. That's all I could think of when you said that. It was like, yeah, like sometimes yeah. we hear what God wants us to do. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Agreed. So what is up next for you in the book? So what, what are you going to do next? Well, I've really been, you know, uh, I've had several people tell me that I really should look into motivational speaking. So I'm definitely open to those opportunities. Um, but I'm also in the process of just journaling for my second book and just being able to share some other parts of my life that I didn't share in, in this book. And um, and just allowing God to speak through it as he did this one and whatever he wants me to share. And um, I really pride myself on being just candid, being like the chick next door, your girlfriend next door, and just it feeling like we're having a conversation and not acting as if I have it all together because I don't. But I like to come alongside people and um, and help them in their pain and to let them know that they're not alone, that there truly is someone who's probably been through it or I know somebody <laughs> has been through it. Um, I have a space on my website where um, I, I strongly believe that everybody should have a safe space, a safe space to where they can um, share what's truly on their heart. Um, there were some key people in my life that were there for me in the most critical moments of my life. And if they wouldn't have been, I think that's another reason why I'm here. I don't know if I would have been if they weren't available to listen to me and to give me godly counsel or just to from their heart say, this is what I think you should do. And everybody needs that. And so I offer a space like that on my website um, for 20 minutes. You can um, make, make an appointment with me. And it truly is a safe place session where you speak and I listen. And it really is just for you to be able to share what's on your heart. There is power in being listened to and mm -hmm. being heard. And a lot of times in my life, I felt invisible. I felt like nobody really cared that I was dispensable. And that really can run you in the wrong direction. And I want to be that for somebody. So it's available. Um, and, and that's a part of my ministry. Um, but yes, also motivational speaking um, when those opportunities come and just really trying to prepare myself, position myself to write my second book eventually. I was like, eventually, I was going to ask you, when is that going to come out? <laughs> I'm hoping it's this year. I really do believe it's going to be this year. Um, and like I said, I am doing some deep journaling. God is just really showing me some things. Um but I haven't gotten that unction yet to just sit down and start writing. But we still have plenty of year left. And so I, I do believe um, by the year end, I would have written something and at least it'll be ready to go through the editing process. Now, I do want to ask you the 20 minute call. Is it for men and women both? Absolutely. Because men and women have issues. Right. And remember, I grew up with all with around all boys and men. So I'm OK with, with talking to a guy. <laughs> OK, you know, um, but yeah, it really is what I learned in Celebrate Recovery. And it just helped me immensely is there's always a moment um, that they offer for you to share what's on your heart. It may be three minutes. It may be five minutes, but it's uninterrupted time where you get to share a victory or you get to share something that was a struggle or just something that you may have learned, like an aha moment, but nobody interrupts you and you just speak. And after going through that process, I went through a nine month program through Celebrate Recovery. It was so healing to be able to say, oh my God, I can't wait till my five minutes so I can just get this off my chest. 
And um, and it really was a powerful moment. And I just want to give that to somebody. So I'm, I'm not saying I'm going to fix your problems. I'm not even going to try to because I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I see one. OK, <laughs> so, um, but but I'm definitely here to to just listen to you. And even if it's something awesome that happened, sometimes I felt like I didn't have anybody to share something awesome with. If I was mad at my husband, I'm not going to turn around and tell him, well, this awesome thing happens. No, I'm going to be mad for maybe five, 10 more minutes. <laughs> then we'll <talk. laughs> but I was able to sometimes go to the program and say, this awesome thing happened to me, you know? And sometimes we just need to be heard, whatever it is. So yes, Melissa, absolutely. Men, women, um, absolutely. Um, I would say 16 and older with your parents' consent, if you know, <coughs> if you want to do that. Then yeah, it really is a you talk. I listen. I don't offer um, any advice. I will offer prayer if you're open to that. But you don't have to be to talk to me. We can put that on the end, and I'll just pray for you on my personal time. But but yeah, definitely, um, I'm just here to listen. Wow, you've given a lot of great <laughs> feedback. Great. I can't wait to dive into your book. I mean, I downloaded it on Kindle Unlimited, and I was. Supposed to read it before today, but I will be honest. Things, you know, how life goes yeah. doesn't always go the way you want it to go. So but. that just gives room for us to come back. Because yes. then you'll read something and you'll be like, oh my God, she didn't say that. And then we'll talk again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I would love that because I actually enjoyed, really enjoy talking with you. I mean, to wow. see how much you've overcome in your life and and I think our parenting styles are like the same. You're trying to stop the generational. Yeah. Um, yeah. relationships you're trying to make new so that your yeah. sons can grow and have a better relationship emotionally with their spouses and their kids when they get married and have kids of their own so yes absolutely now i feel like i'm making a flaw somewhere because they feel like if there are no snacks in the house that we're poor so i'm like you guys got it way twisted you don't know what mm -hmm. poor is you know, so I'm like, I got to pull some stuff back. <laughs> I may be giving them a little bit too much, uh, you know, spoiledness or something, because I swear if there are no Cheez-Its in the house or a honey bun or Nutella. They're like, oh, my God, we have nothing to eat. And I'm like, boy, if you don't go over there and eat that rice. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's the parenting. That's parenting for everybody. I don't think it's just you. I think it's everybody. Yeah, so I'll definitely be working on that. But absolutely, I would love to come back and just talk about whatever you want to throw out there. We can talk about it. Absolutely. Okay. Um, where can people find you at? Well, you can definitely reach out. I know I've discussed my website. It's FatimaC.com. Um, you can find me there and just things that are dear to my heart. Um, some interviews and just some commentations. I don't necessarily want to say blogs. I'm not big on that. But, but just my heart being shared. Um, but I'm definitely on social media. You can find me on LinkedIn as Fatima C. Oliver. I'm on Instagram as Fatima C. Oliver 1975. And I'm also on Facebook as Fatima Oliver. Um, basically, pop in Google Fatima C. Oliver and I'll pop up. Um, I'm even on Reddit for those that use Reddit. Um, you can definitely find me and reach out and we can have a, a powwow. But if you want an individual sit down, definitely find me, um, make an appointment under um, Safe Space on my website. Oh, I love that. And your book is, once again, the prescription is in the dirt. And yes. guys, if there's anything like she's described it, you definitely want to get it. And I can't wait to dig into it now. 
I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's um, from the heart. And um, there are some embarrassing moments in there, but I said, I can't tell one thing and not tell the other. So I'm just throwing it out there. We're having girlfriend talk. So I guess if you drink wine, get, get some wine or some chocolate or some some cheese and crackers and just dive in. <laughs> there you go. Um, Fatima, I really want to thank you for sharing your heart today and for sharing this time with me and for actually applying to be on the show. And I mean, as soon as I read your bio, I was like, I know I need to have her on. So I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your time. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. I appreciate it. So guys, we will see you on the next chat from the blog cabin. Bye. Wow, that episode with Fatima. I have met so many amazing people doing these podcasts and these live chats. I really hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation. She is going to come back on because we're going to dig deeper into her book. Um, the, her book is called The Prescription is in the Dirt. And I have linked it in the show notes. So if you're interested in going to get the book, I have put the link in the show notes. Um, I really hope you really enjoyed this episode. And I love how the fact that she said... Um, going through and getting through and dealing with all of the past trauma in her life has made her become a better parent to her younger two boys as opposed to her older two boys. And sitting down and having that conversation with her boy, her oldest son, really, you know, that's that's to me is heartwarming because not most parents won't look at the, their children and say, hey, I screwed up. So I really hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. Please, um, thank you so much for being part of the family. And like, review, leave a rating um, wherever you listen to this podcast. And thank you so much. And be blessed. And remember, keep chatting.